This is Chris. And this is Chris. And we's talking we's to thee. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wheeze Talking Wheeze to Thee. Where we may be tired of sex. But we're never tired of Weezer. All right, so we know what you're thinking. Weezer? I didn't even know they were still a band. Or maybe even... Is this a thing people care about? Well, to that we say... You're dumb! So ignorant. Yeah, you know, so this is kind of crazy, but since we started doing this podcast, Chris and I will be walking down the street, people coming up to us left and right. So they are just constantly asking us. So you're a Weezer fan? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Two of them, in fact. Yeah, so what do you say, Chris? Yeah, Chris? Why don't we get this show started? Sounds great. So, first big order of events, we are so excited to announce that Weezer just... Set a release date for the freaking Black Album. I mean, they're playing New Year's Rock and Eve. Come on, it's Weezer! Now I can feel some of you Weezer purists out there are worried, thinking... Sounds like you're into the new stuff. And yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, so far we've covered Everything Will Be Alright in the End. The White Album. And Pacific Daydream. Not music, man. Whoa, Whoa come on now. now. Hey, settle down. Sure, we dig the new stuff, but we're not about to claim pork and beans is better than Buddy Holly. Still, I recognize there are some listeners out there who would contend they've been trying since 2001, son. Or Weezer put out two perfect albums, Blue and Pinkerton, and the rest was pretty corny. Or Weezer died when Matt Sharp left. Uh, Let me guess, you only listened to the first two records. But that said... Can we all just agree that Weezer is the best band of all time? Maybe. I don't know. But I tell you one thing, Chris. What's that, Chris? That assertion is sure to be challenged today as we get lost... Copyright ABC. ...in Hurley. Well, that was a really fun experiment. Big shout out to Leslie Jones and Matt Damon for helping us record that. Uh, they had some previous engagements, so they are no longer uh, with us. They just left. But They Chris, said they would give us two minutes. Yeah, that's all they had time for. And hey, we made the best of it. They, they took the crowd with them. <laughs> it was awesome. Now yeah. it's just me, you, Engineer Ray. It's Engineer Ray, just the three of us back in the wagon again. Back so, holding it down. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, diving deep into... Weezer's record, Hurley. Yeah, exactly. Released September 10th, 2010. 10 songs long. 33 minutes and 52 seconds long. Right in the template. Yep, classic. Classic (laughs) template. Is it a classic record? We will find out. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't spoil it. (laughs) But in at least two ways, it's classic. Yeah. (laughs) So it's worth noting, this is actually the first record not released um, by Geffen Records. This album was, in fact, released by Epitaph Records, which is a, a West Coast punk rock label. Yeah, those guys who did The Descendants, The World is a Beautiful Place, and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. Nor Willing. Yeah, Every Time I Die, and Bad Religion. Whose guitarist, Brett Gerwitz, actually founded the label in the 80s. Which is awesome. Yes, he founded it. It literally is an indie label. They wanted to release their own music, and he said, well, okay, I'll make a record label. So cool. Make my own. Yeah. Um, Continuing a trend that started on the Ratitude, their previous record, this album is heavy on the collabos. Yeah, only two Rivers solo songs. Right. And eight RSSs. RSSs. That's 20%. Come on, feed us, man. Yeah. Feed us. 20% solo Cuomo. We got to like say the index for every album. It's like, this is a 20% solo Cuomo. (laughs) That's a really good uh, statistic. That's right. Perhaps the most significant collaboration on this record is between Rivers and his co-producer, Sean Everett. Mm. Um, So Everett started working with the band during the Ratitude Sessions in 2009. In the years since his work with Weezer, though, he has become truly one of the most sought after in singular studio talents in the music business. Uh, For starters, he claimed two Grammy Awards. Wow. Two? Two! Damn. 
for his work as producer and engineer on the Alabama Shakes' tremendous sound and color. So smooth. Very smooth. A a deserved Grammy, for sure. Absolutely. And speaking of Grammys, I guess we should mention... My grandmother just turned 90... No, 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 Chris, Christopher. I'm talking about the Grammy Awards. Oh, right, 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 right. She won Best Grammy in Rhode Island. (laughs) (laughs) That's very impressive. Yeah, the uh, Appenog chapter. (laughs) Appenog chapter, Best Rhode Island Grammy. Best Rhode Island Grammy. (laughs) Okay, well, anyways, the... So, focus of this podcast, Weezer, has been nominated for another Grammy. That is true. Best Rock Album. Pacific <laughs> I'm Daydream. not even sure it should be nominated for Rock Album. I, exactly. It's a, <laughs> is it pop a rock, al- rock pop album, really? Seriously. But yes, somehow Pacific Daydream was nominated for a Grammy this year. Yeah, pretty great. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. More on that later. Yeah. <laughs> Once they win, I'm sure we'll talk about oh, it more. Yeah. When, I think that's a big if. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. But really, like, heartfelt congrats to, to Rivers, Scott. Yeah. Butch. Butch. Pat. Yeah, for beating those beats. Skinny. Who's skinny? Lepo. Oh, the whole gang. I don't know any of those guys. You're so oh, man, in You got to do more research, man. You don't know Skinny and Lepo? <laughs> I don't. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's a regular Lepo colony over there. Uh, just closing out, talk about Sean Everett, and I'm sure he will come up as we talk about these songs individually. Um, some of his other credits are kind of amazing, too. He's worked with Lucius, whom I love and have uh, seen and filmed many times at the Newport Folk Festival, an amazing band. They've been on tour with uh, Roger Waters in recent years, which is kind of awesome. He's in a band called Pink Floyd. Um, Casey Musgraves, Grizzly Bear. Who we've talked about, Julian Casablancas. Oh, so good. Couple Sp- blokes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Strokes. Okay. So hear us out, right? Where we's talking we's to the. How about blokes talking strokes to folks? I mean, that's beautiful. It's perfect, but only if it's male hosts. Because if it's two chicks, then I've really oh, that's a problem right. for myself. But They'd have either to do way, like birds talking third eye blind <laughs> to over there. <laughs> over thirds. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's not a keeper. That's why women shouldn't podcast. Oh, boy. We're going down that road. And we'll be back right after this. And we're back. After 20 lashings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rachel, for that. We, we needed it. We, we deserved, deserved it. it. We needed it. Yep. Well, we'll we be talk- kind of liked it. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll be talking about some really seriously chauvinistic stuff later in this album. So, <laughs> <laughs> No doubt about it. Where are my socks, anyway? Never mind the socks, Chrissy. Let's talk about the title of the album. Sounds good. Okay. So the band was really struggling to come up with a name for this record. They had two names that were kicking around inside their head. One was Heavy Mental Mm. and Smaller Than Life, Mm. which both kind of suck. Profoundly suck. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, then there was one fateful night, which night happens to be May 12th, 2010. That's right. The band Weezer and the man Jorge Garcia, a.k.a. Hurley from Lost, copyright ABC, shared the stage on the prestigious Lopez Tonight oh, program. love me that George Lopez. So backstage, a selfie was taken, and the rest, as they say, is history. 
Right. Rivers was quoted saying, When we thought of putting Hurley on the album cover, it seemed like the last thing in the world that would cause such an uproar. I thought it was just a beautiful picture, and it'd be a really cool album cover for a rock band. It's kind of crazy. When they first showed Jorge Garcia the cover, he assumed it was just a mock-up. Like, it'll look something like this. We'll take right. a new photo. He mm-hmm. didn't realize that was the that cover. That was it. And he was like, I don't know why they went with it, but... Uh... I guess I'm glad they did. <laughs> and it literally was just the selfie with Rivers cut out. I, mean, I know, like, just a cropped photo. Yeah, it's like what you do to get your ex-husband out of like a family photo. <laughs> you know? But instead, it's a fucking record cover by Weezer. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, there was a lot of backlash to this album artwork, right? And But concerning this, this backlash, Rivers said, We've gotten a lot of attention over the last few years. I personally wish it was more for how compelling and attractive the music was on its own merit. Yeah, of course. Speaking of the music's own merit, fans didn't think it had much at all. Right. According to Weezerpedia, Hurley has a few diehard fans, but most would put it near the bottom or middle of their rankings. Most people are quick to criticize its production, lyrics, and songs. So you're probably thinking, what else does that leave? Everything about it sucks, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, we'll give you our opinion soon enough. That's true. Soon to be revealed. Um, when uh, asked by the AV Club how the band responded to this change of musical direction, it seems like every record we're talking about the change of musical direction mm-hmm. uh, that, that Weezer has undertaken. Uh, Rivers said, they've seen me go through all sorts of crazy phases over the last 17 years at this point. Um, I'd have to do something really crazy for them to get too bummed out or upset. The thing they like least is when I go into hibernation for years at a time. And I think that's the thing we as fans like the least too, you know? Of course, yeah. You you always want more stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, so speaking of that change in direction, concerning this sort of rockin' energy of this record. And this album does rock. They're definitely going for some rock. Yeah. In a new way. In in a new way, yeah. I was going to say... It depends on your definition of rock. Uh, but yeah, some could say that it rocks. So It, it aims to rock. It aims. It, regarding that, Rivers said, the energy and the drum performance was key. I played a good deal of the drums on the record as Pat played a good deal of the guitar. And so that can kind of present the, the view that, yeah, these drums are a little bland and yeah, boring. There's almost none of those little character flourishes that give... Weezer, it's fantastic depth. It's sound, and it's occurring to me more and more that the kind of distance that we feel from these albums here around 2009 and 10, and even maybe the Red album before it, and maybe going back to Make Believe, was like, they just got away from feeling like Weezer as much as anything. Yeah, well, each half of the band picked up the wrong instrument. Right. And I do think, honestly, that core feel in the rhythm section, obviously, I think Shriner is a really great bassist. I I like his bass playing. It doesn't stand out much on this record. There's maybe one moment that I particularly like, but um, it's Well, he relied really heavily on some new techniques, uh, like the the pick, the picking of the bass, which I know he doesn't do quite often. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's generally a finger bass. Yeah, so he's he's doing that kind of punk rock, Mike Durnt kind of Green Day-esque bass playing in this album that I picked up on, but... Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, and, whether it's my style or not, I am. Yeah. but I yeah, it's just the underlying groove, the underlying little touches and flourishes that make these things unique, make them not just sound like radio rock in 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are kind of by and large not there. And Rivers is the first to say he's not like a great drummer; he's adequate to do demos and stuff. Sure, yeah. But I think he was just maybe in a groove, and certainly Pat Wilson was, where he was into playing guitar, right? And he's a f- fine enough guitarist he's sure. not rivers cuomo but like he can he's play power competent. chords and he can play, he can play notes <laughs> exactly exactly have you seen the video of them playing memories in the back seat of a cab no i never have well it's a fascinating performance but either way pat wilson's playing guitar rivers is just 
awkwardly Is he playing bongos. He's just singing. Oh wow! And kind of like awkwardly trying not to look into a camera, and then looking into a camera and doing his kind of dirty Hurley era voice. It's a, it's a. Anyway, check wow. it out on YouTube. It's okay. worth watching, and then never watching again. <laughs> so, what did Mister, our friend Mister Wilson say about the record? He really said that it was such a weird record, and that they weren't exactly swinging for the fence when they made it. Right. And, well, that kind of sucks. Yeah. You're like, what's the point? Why are you going to just go in there and try to record something without giving it your all? That's kind of disheartening as a fan. The weird thing, though, is I wouldn't call this album non-experimental and non-bold. I think there's boldness on this record. It, they're not all hits. It's right. not all, it doesn't all work. But I would not call this record safe. No. No. You know what I mean? Not at this point in their career. Yeah, I, I don't think so. And I think in the major way that it's not safe is in the vocal delivery that I kind of just touched upon. Big time. Um, and Rivers agrees. He said, for so many years, I figured I'm pretty good at this one voice. So I should just stick to that. And this time there's some songs when I'm singing pretty crazy. There's some songs when I'm singing pretty gently. True. Just looking to experiment with my vocal cords. He also added in another interview that on one song, he started singing like Gollum. A forest gnome and having fun. I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that's not what Gollum is. But nope. <laughs> regardless, he added, invariably, when you expand your palate, you're going to come up with stuff that some critics don't like. But the point is to have fun. Yeah, exactly. So, Chris. Yes, Chris. You're bringing up stuff from Hurley? Oh, we're bringing up stuff from Hurley. beginning of the record so we've talked at length on the last three albums Mm -hmm. about how good weezer is at starting records yep and have they done it here no nope not really not at all not at all (laughs) well it's one of the top half record songs for me so it's got that going for it. So on this record, this is one of your five favorite It would be songs. in the top five, yeah. But again, spoiler alert, that's not saying much. Right. It t- I see it as kind of like, this is a decent opener, mm-hmm. but relative to Weezer's catalog of it's openers, just, yeah. that makes it terrible right. because they're so good by yep. and large. Exactly. I mean, I will say I wasn't as big a fan of Mexican Fender as you are. True. I realized on that episode, I never actually said how I felt about that song, which is I don't really like it. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as an opener, it kind of works. Mm-hmm. But I think it's about in the same tier for me as this song. Uh, yeah. Interesting song. Yeah. 
It's uh, a solo Cuomo. Solo Cuomo. So you're, we're 10%, we're 50% of the way through the solo Cuomo. When we get to like the first three records and everything's by him, are it, we going to say solo Cuomo 10 times per record? Possibly. <laughs> Just keep saying. It. I mean, you can usually tell how good the record's going to be based on the solo Cuomo. Solo percentage. Cuomos. And, and then there's this song. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's... I don't know what to say about it. it it's... Uh, this record is full of songs like this in that it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Uh-huh. Or more Well, or there's less. a bridge. Well, there is a bridge, but it's so not the past three records bridge. Right. Oh, it's not on that caliber. None of these no. bridges are at really much of a caliber compared to the, the previous stuff we've been listening to, mm-hmm. I think, at all. Yeah, I so, generally agree. Well, it's worth noting that it was in Jackass 3D. I mean, Chris, you're right. What an accolade it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. God, we are stalled out on this song. <laughs> yep. Let's I, maybe talk about, is there anything you like about this song? No. <laughs> Nothing at all. Uh, I shouldn't say that and then say it's in the top half of the record, because then that really makes wow. the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler no. alert. I mean, I guess at this point we should probably address the the tone of the album, uh-huh. right? So in in how it's diverging and the thing that changes the most in a in a relatively constant uh, album in that it's a lot of power chords, it's a lot of steady drum beats, not a lot of variation, uh, not a lot of variation in song structure. So what is the one thing that changes a ton throughout this album? And that's Rivers' vocal choices, mm. the, the way he changes his voice. Those um, are not soft touches either. Not at, sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. That's true. Right? There is a gentle moment or two. He has some two. gentle touches. Uh-huh. And there's a gentle moment later in the record that's kind of destroyed by his production, but it yeah. could have been a gentle moment, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interesting thing in this song, vocally, in the note that he's singing in the verses, which always stood out to me. Okay, let me say this. I say always, right? This album came out in 2010. I had not heard a song from it until this a couple past w- three weeks. Yeah, same. I had never even heard... See, at least on Ratitude, I knew, like, if you're wondering if I want you to, I saw them play it on the late night show and enjoyed sure. it. And I said, yeah. that's actually a pretty good jam. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the, the uh, like, recorded version as much, but I said, that's a good song. Sure. Some stupid lyrics notwithstanding, it, it's a it's a jam. Yeah, you know? yeah. I had never heard Memories. I never heard any of these. None I guess of them. Hang On was a single, but I, I never heard I never that. heard it. I don't think it was particularly successful. So literally, this is the first time I've ever been exposed to this. I feel like I knew more of Pacific Daydream than Hurley. Right? No (laughs) doubt. Weirdly. Um, So I will say, when I first heard this song, I was like, what is he singing there in the the verses? Between the lyrics and the nature of that note. So what that note is, is truly the blue note. Ah. So we hear about that in blues and jazz, the blue note. Do you Mm -hmm. know what the blue note actually is? I remember learning this actually in college. The major sixth? No. No, no it's so the blue note is this kind of ambiguous area between a minor third and a major third. Huh. It's a note that you can only really do vocally unless you play something like guitar, where you can kind of bend and play microtonally between notes. So if you're sure. like in a blues scale, you get to the G string with first finger, you can do a little mm, and kind of like bend. a quarter tone raise. Exactly. Somewhere between that minor third and the major third. That's what he's singing here. We're in the key of B, and he's singing somewhere between a D and a D sharp. Huh. My ear could not place what that note was. So we're, we're playing a, a B chord, he's singing a D-ish note, then we go to an E chord, it's basically a two-chord song for the verse and chorus, uh, and he's still singing that D-ish note, which is functioning as like a seventh on the E. So it wow. has kind of this bluesy sound. 
But between that and the kind of crassness and crudeness of the lyrics, it just does have an abrasion to it. Yeah. Even if the song wasn't like, it's not like super heavily produced, it's distorted, it's fuzzy, but like, it's not like heavy, but that just makes it kind of gnarly. That's pretty cool. Right. I do actually really like in the choruses how his vocal melody is being doubled by the synthesizer. Yeah, that part's pretty That's rad. a cool treat. Yeah, and it's up an octave, and it just it blends really well. There's a couple uh, moments on this record. I described it on the last episode as sounding tinny. I don't know if that's true, but I will say it sounds abrasive. Yeah. You know, and that is, Sean Everett, as a producer and engineer, is very good at using the harmonics and overtones that come with distortion. And this may be he was still finding his voice, or they were going for a certain thing, and it doesn't always work. But the choruses of this song are one part where I think it does. Right on. It's a weird conclusion to reach. Memories make me want to go back there after hearing all these lyrics of what they're actually doing. I'm describing, he's, I'm assuming he's describing his days on tour back Has in to the be. 90s. Has when, to be. When, when Audio Slave was still Rage. Yep. And I get it, but like, boy, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. No. Not exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, I like to piss into a pe- plastic cup as much as anyone. I piss at styrofoam. Fucking. I pissed in a glass cup. No, no joke. Last night, we're in my bedroom right now. I pissed in a glass cup right there. You see on the floor? Ugh. I left it there uh, from last night. I was wondering what that smell was. Yeah. Well, Ugh. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a potpourri. Yeah, it's nice. A peepery? A peepery. <laughs> a peepery. <laughs> so anyway, I do like that. And oh, 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 do you hear that? We got a gruff vox alert. That's right. There are some gruff vocals. Warning, gruff vox. <laughs> gruff vox on alert. the way. Let's hear how... River says this fucking word at the end of the bridge. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because that happens to be my raddest riff. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, to have him going just pure guttural yeah. and just screaming out as hard as he can. I was like, yeah, fuck you, Rivers. It's vaguely Gollum-esque, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It hurts us. It burns us mm-hmm. in the in the larynx. Yeah, I would never. <laughs> I can never cover this song. My uh, Radis Riff is actually the instrumental bridge that follows right after. this section. Because I do think, like as we just spoke about, the chorus melody is quite good. Yeah. It's a simple chord progression, but it's a really and good... And I love me some vibraphone. Yeah. I mean, it's just a really nice um, kind of recontextualization of that melody and chord progression. So I love that part. We're not going to listen to it, but I just, I just think it's a beautiful part. I do dislike, I will say this, and it's funny because it happens on the next song too, the last three chords of the chorus kind of ruin it for me. Mm. I don't like that sound. So we're again in the key of B. We're going E to B in the choruses. Mm. But then at the end, we go A to E to B. Now, A is not in the key that is home here. A is not in the key of B. And actually, we talked last episode about the British are coming and how they incorporate that flatted seventh major chord, and it's beautiful. Right. When used right, it can be great. And I'm not saying this is used wrong. The thing is, it's so common in music. It just makes me think of like Leonard Skinner or something when I hear mm. that kind of, or like Jack Johnson, you know, gotcha. it's just a very easy progression. Honestly, even a band I really like, Fish, they use it all the time in their jams and in their songwriting. And it's like my least favorite sound that they do mm. because it works, you know, it works and there's nothing wrong with something sure. that works, but it's nothing just like, creative. we had a nice thing going there in the chorus and then, uh why do we have to end with that progression sure. of all the progressions? Sure. How about lyric? What do you have for lamest, laughable, whatever lyric? So my entire pursuit in this record was to try to find lyrics that just stood out in general. Uh-huh. A lot of these songs have a, it's pretty, pretty bland. There's some safe lyricism on yeah, this album. This time. is not one of those songs. No, 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 not at all. Um, so I said in the, in the first verse, watching all the freaky Dutch kids vomit and then have sex. I said the same. Yeah. 
It's... Tell me more about these freaky. I think I may have seen them actually on a Pornhub video I watched just oh, recently. Yeah. I had I didn't mean to click on it. Just it, it but then it was there. And it I was mean, recommended for I figured, me. So well, might as well. They know my tastes. I might as well. My taste is well. I mean, I'll give it a shot. I'll just give it. A, I'll give it a quick burn. I'll give it a quick stream. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that video rules. Oh, ruled me last night. Ruling you. Ruling me. Okay. All right. Does that rule? Uh, rules more than some of the other stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. For sure. There's a part of this song that really rules me and the rest is just there. Yeah. Okay. So then what's the part that rules you? Uh, oh, should I, should I get right into just it? Go, we might as well cut in because you're the one who has the most stuff to say about anything. So if we can get that, <laughs> sure. say my shit. I love the bridge to this song. Yep. Definitely. I think it's tremendous. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the best uh, bridges on the record, if not my favorite. Maybe, Probably. Maybe one of two favorites. There aren't too many to speak of, so. It almost reminds me weirdly, and in this, I mean this as a compliment, of like 80s Rush. It mm. vaguely reminds me of 80s Rush, and it does a cool thing. That kind of palm-muted guitar. Palm-muted guitar, just basically repeating the same figure over and over again. It's just basically going back and forth between like a D and an E, like a E, D, E, D, D, D. And what's cool is that it does not change, but the chords beneath it are changing, mm. thus recontextualizing that those two notes. Okay, it's the seven and the eight of this one, and then it's the one and the two of this one, and then it's the two and the three of this one, and then it's so cool. That's great. And it really works beautifully. It's very minimal, but it's so effective. Sometimes the best thing you could do is not change a thing nice. and let everything around it change. Because it's going to sound like the thing that's not changing is changing just because it's relation to the chords surrounding yeah, it. it's really strong. I'm not So that's something good about this song. What what are some other uh, good things about this song? A song that generally I do not like. In general, like as a... This is not a song I like, but I love the bridge. Cool. Um, I like the the vocal harmonization uh, throughout. I think that's pretty nice. That's what I had as my riff. Um, and I also really like the 
lyrics in this song, or not the lyrics for the entire song, but I like a lyric in this song. What is that lyric? My ocular nerve went pop zoom. That's my laughable lyric. I of the never. Song. I I also like the following one. I never observed such a beautiful face. Wow, the, observed the, is nice. Observed, Good verb. Yeah, it's great. Uh, that makes me laugh, but yeah, I think that's what probably my favorite line in the in the record. Wow, that's great. It's There's really another fun. good line too, or two more that I actually like. You shut me out, but it turns me on. I mm. like the the symmetry of that line. Yeah, and I like if I am a knob, don't fade me. Oh, that one's good too. That's actually a really fun music production mm-hmm. analogy. Yeah, there. yeah. I, I that one. I didn't know what he was saying when I was listening to it. When I actually read and it, I said, like, oh, "Oh man, that's really? some good stuff for sure." I love the snare drum part in the intro. I mean, we just heard it like. It's that's one of the few parts on here. I'm like, oh well, that's Pat Wilson. Rivers can play. Yeah, or it's Rivers just actually having his best moment ever on record. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I love that part. Otherwise, the drums on this are you know middle of the road, whatever. Um, we didn't even talk about who helped Rivers write this song. Absolutely, Dan Wilson, old Danny Dubs, Semis- Pat's brother. No, no, no. <laughs> Again, From Semisonic. That's right. I prefer uh, full on Sonic. Yeah, definitely. the Hedgehog. Yeah, he's great. When he's got tails, I always play tails. Oh wow! I always play tails. That's it. like I always played Luigi in Mario Two. Oh, there for you go. NES. I'm old. Sure. Yeah, you are old. <laughs> there are some pretty sweet vocal variations in the last chorus of this song too. I will sure. say, I do not love the chorus. Oh, the the reason I don't like this song, by the way, this maybe sounds the least like Weezer of any song on the record, or maybe any song mm. that I've heard. And the reason is, outside of a couple lyrics that we talked about, there's nothing that any other band couldn't do. Yeah, you know, well, I think a lot of bands could do a lot of these songs. It's true, honest. but I still don't see another band singing "Where's My Sex" or 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 "Smart Girls" or you know those songs may be worse than this song, and I would yeah. argue that they are, but they are still at least a singular kind of creative achievement. Sure, yeah, yeah, a, a failed one, but an achievement nonetheless. Yeah, like like it's it, it was set out to do something and, and doing it that Green Day couldn't do it. Yeah, but Green Day could have written this song. I mean, they shouldn't, but like I could see lame Green Day doing this song. No doubt, you know, and or no doubt. Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, you know, Jimmy World, something like that. And sure. no, I'm naming bands that I don't dislike. Actually, I, I, of those three, I really like Jimmy World quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But you know, it just feels like Weezer at their best does feel singular, and it comes down to kind of all the elements that we're talking about. There's certain chord progressions that they love. There's a feel in the rhythm sections playing between Wilson and Shriner now. There's a vocal melody approach. There's the way they use harmonies, all that stuff. And some of those are in here for sure. Actually, truly, the most generic part maybe on the record harmonically is in the pre-chorus to this song, which is that classic Weezer 101 progression from Island in the Sun, from Do You Want to Get High, from, you know, Pink Triangle solo. It's that E minor, A minor, D, G. I was tuned down a half step, but same principle. The second you hear it, you go like, God damn, like they could write that in their sleep. Yeah. So the ways in which it is like Weezer. You're still mad. Yeah. I go, well, be like Weezer in the the better better way. Be your your best self. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Let's move on to the next song.
Turn that shit down. Chris, man, we don't have the fan on, but Chris shaking his head back and forth while listening to that created enough uh, airflow <laughs> to keep us cool in here. Oh, my Lord. Train wrecks. Track three. Oh, I thought you were just saying train wreck. <laughs> this song is a train wreck. Really? Yeah, I hate it. You saying that the last song was like Green Day or any other band could yeah. do it. This is... The first time I heard this song, I was like, oh, you know that Dashboard Confessional song from the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack? I remember it existed. Vindicated? Yeah. This is that song. I once saw Weezer with Dashboard Confessional. No shit. Well, that maybe then he <laughs> had that. Maybe it was bank. a collabo. Yeah. Uh, so I guess before we speak too much of our opinions on this, maybe we should talk about who wrote it. Obviously, Rivers Cuomo doing most of the lyrics, as well as Desmond Child who is a prolific songwriter. Oh, yeah. He's no child of songwriting. This guy is a, is a mature man. He's been writing songs for a long time. Yes, he has. Uh, interesting credits here. He, uh, he co-wrote Kisses, I Was Made for Loving You. Yeah. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, I Hate Myself for Loving You. Yeah. Bon Jovi's You Give Love a Bad Name and Living, and on, a, <laughs> living on a Prayer. Living on a Prayer. Not Loving on a Prayer. It's two, the first song that has Two of my favorite songs of all time. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Anthems, dude. Wow. Well, they are definitely anthems. Guilty pleasures, but mm-hmm. but pleasures. Songs, songs I love nonetheless. Yes. Um, and also... Like by Aerosmith. Okay, that was necessary. <laughs> that was worth it, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and more recently, he actually co-wrote Ricky Martin's, or maybe wrote, Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca and La Copa de la Vida. Oh, two songs that are great. The Cup of Life. So you hate this song. I will say that this is a song I almost like. Almost like. Okay. I almost like it. All right. Okay. I almost like it. I mean, I don't like it. Yeah. But like, it's almost. It almost could be a song I like. Yeah. This is a cross between uh, a middle of the road Green Day, like Nimrod era Green Day, and Dashboard Confessional. It's just mm. like this kind of fake anthem. It, what do you think the the format of this song is? Because I was trying to figure it out. Oh, the the structure? The structure. Well, here's a- the thing. I think this song is structured like a folk song in that it doesn't have a chorus. Right. It has a refrain. Yes, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Bob Dylan wrote some great songs with refrain. For some reason, I, I just got to listen to Blood on the Tracks lately because uh, he just released a deluxe version called More Blood, More Tracks with uh, just an amazing collection. Um but there's a song, uh, You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. And it's just all these statements, da da da, da And then, You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. It's not the chorus, it's the refrain. refrain yeah. You know, but like, this land is your land, you know? Sure, this land sure. was made for you and me. So this is that. Yeah. But then there are these two bridges, right? Mm-hmm. And I hate them. Yeah. I notice I cut it off. Usually I like to hear any part of the song that like happens within the first minute and a half when right. we play the clips. Can't ruin it. I fade it out. I just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. It's People of, love to tell us what to do. What I don't even it's I hate the lyrics. I hate yeah. them. Hate them. I mean, give me a break. Chris has hate in his eyes. Truly it's, he does. Uh, this is I haven't had a, a reaction like this in a while to to any of the songs we've had. Like yeah, sure this, I, sure I've disliked it, but like this song just blows. Right. Um and it's just like that he's changed his voice again. So he's he's completely ripping off Billy Joe Armstrong in that fire 
<laughs> We're trying to fight. <laughs> and he's just doing that, like, kind of opening the back of your throat and kind of t- singing like this. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I, just, I don't like it. Yeah, he's I, giving it a full-throated yeah. singing, for sure. And it's I, just not his voice, so it's it's weird yeah. that he's choosing this to emulate and that, that super heavy-picked bass. It's right. just so Green Day. Oh, like, yeah. Like, the, the worst type of Green Day. <laughs> it's power pop. Mm-hmm. And that's no doubt. one of maybe three or four songs in a traditional vein of power pop on this record. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of which actually works for me. This is not one. Again, I almost like it. I do like, uh, it's like what we talked about in the bridge of the previous song. His voice sings basically in, the, in these verses one note, right? The chords are changing around it. Yeah. And then he just goes up for train wrecks, you know? I love that. I, in fact, like I've tried to exercise that myself a couple of times. Like, let me see if I can do a song. Where the melody is one note as sure. long as humanly possible, and it's a pretty cool effect. Again, yeah. the lyrics suck. The sound kind of sucks to me, which yep. is weird. Sean Everett, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. And there's actually an amazing cameo in this song. The guitarist and producer Blake Mills, uh, who's really wonderful, and you guys should check him out. He's truly one of the greatest guitar players I've ever seen. And he's probably in his mid twenties at this time. He was a, still a teenager, yeah, probably. Wow. Um, Sean Everett had just produced his first record, uh, which is quite good, and uh, and he plays actually the synth part on this song. I think oh. it's and I like that synth part. Yeah, you know the kind of well, I think it's the descending like doo, doo. you hear it oh. in the background. Cool touch, like really nice production flourish. I, I like to think that's his part, you know, because I just know he's credited on synthesizer, which is weird because he's like I said one of the best living guitarists in America, at that's least crazy. playing rock and roll. Yeah. And uh, despite all the talent behind this song, yeah, very misguided. Mm-hmm. A very misguided song. It was actually the first song that Rivers wrote after his bus accident in 2009, which we uh-huh. haven't talked about yet. Maybe we'll talk about it during the Ratitude, but he was in a bus accident with his wife and child um, on tour in 2009. And this was the first song he wrote for whatever reason, you know? And it's a weirdly sentimental song. It's clearly not a, a true song. It's right. emulating or he's embodying. Like what, yeah, what characters is he referring to? Exactly. Here? And it's almost like a comical depiction of a down and out couple, yeah. an irresponsible couple. But. Do maybe we, maybe one lyric I like, actually. Maybe one lyric I like is, uh, we kiss and then we bite. Oh, okay. I think that's cool. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I just think it's kind of a, a sweetly aggressive lyric. Yeah. You know, and uh, it actually feels like one I've written. And so, you know, you tend to like things that you're drawn to writing, mm-hmm. whether musically or lyrically, and that's one that, I, that I'm drawn to. I've written a song about a similar type of couple. I like to think it's much better than this one. <laughs> um, but it's, there's just a lot of, a lot of clunk throughout yeah, the lyrics. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Mooching off our friends is not a federal crime. Which he changes federal from a three-syllable word to a two. Yeah, federal. Federal. Yeah, right. Another conjunct. Yeah. Another brief. I actually liked um, We Don't Update Our Blogs. That's oh, you like that one? Yeah. Just That's be- my laughable lyric, mm-hmm. actually. Same. It was, yeah. the, it was the only one where it's like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we missed last week uh, with this podcast because I'm so sick. So sorry. We don't update our pods is actually <laughs> maybe one that we should sing. Yeah. If we do do that culminating performance, uh, maybe we'll have to play this one and just do and that. And change that one lyric. Yep. <laughs> but, but that would mean we'd have to learn and play this song. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a tough performance for me, but I will stick it through. And uh, we're trying to stick through this record here so far which has not been easy for through these first three songs oh for three baby (laughs) oh baby (laughs) um do you have a rad riff in this song nope (laughs) another one of those another one of those um i barely have a rad i guess the synth the synth usage Uh uh-huh that's i barely have a rad riff within this song 
my red riff is the intro the kind of atmospheric intro the before the song the starts. funky kind of stellar or staticky. Yeah. yeah okay. I think it's kind of cool. I think yeah. it's actually a really cool sound. Like that sounds like that would be a, a song that I would like, just something like that. Um, and then this starts. But again, it's a song I could almost like. It doesn't get there for me. But, uh, and maybe that makes me dislike it even more. <laughs> Every morning, every day, I am hoping for a chance to get away. In the evening, every night, I am dreaming of a chance to make it right. Every chance that I get, I am placing a bet on the sun in the sky. Speak to me, Chris. Okay, so we have a song that doesn't suck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, most certainly doesn't suck. Yeah. This is the same singer as the last three songs? Right. Right. Add it again. Yeah. Another really cha- shape Another change. Yeah. A little bit gentle, a little bit sweet and caressing. Mm-hmm. Acoustic guitar, which we hardly ever get to hear Rivers singing with. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. A little solo Cuomo. A little solo Cuomo. Give me that solo Cuomo, baby. <laughs> so I would say this is probably the most honest song on this record. I could agree with that. So Rivers said, I wrote this right after I got married and after living alone for so many years, having everything exactly how I wanted it. Suddenly, I'm living with somebody else and I have to start making compromises in my lifestyle. And boy, part of my mind was really unhappy about having to compromise. It was just a real adjustment coming from my previous lifestyle. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. It's just like, it's all there in the lyrics of this song. All of that. There's nothing hidden. No, not at all. Yeah, and I have to say, I can relate to that. Yes. I'm 35 years old and single at the moment, and I would say a lot of it is because of exactly what Rivers is talking about. Yeah, compromise is super hard, and when you're used to living your life and doing your thing, and right, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's an interesting no thing too, you know. And and I can't speak for Rivers, but it's like, yeah, if you're not like going out and having a lot of promiscuous sex or doing a lot of drugs or anything like that, you're like, I just kind of want to go home and like, you know, prepare for the podcast Do and write thing. some songs and you know what I mean? Yeah. Watch this thing and read this thing. It's like that. that's somehow like you, encroaching upon that somehow sometimes can be painful. Absolutely. You know, that harmony that comes with just, you know, living inside your own mind. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. That's right, ladies. I'm single. Uh, <laughs> Get it. <laughs> um, so uh, my laughable lyric here is, uh, I'm strong enough to show you I'm a man. Which honestly sounds exactly like what a weak man would say. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we we have the same one again. That's amazing. I think we are four We're for four. Four so for four far. on lyric. Yeah, that's not uh, not anything I would say. And I know I'm a man. And I know strong. you're a man too. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Chris sits here with his pee-pee out the entire podcast. I just want to make sure, Chris, you can see it. Yeah, he calls it, I've heard these things called P-Cast for short. He calls it a pee cast A pee cast Because he casts his pee out towards me. <laughs> Fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we like about this song? I like that it changes. I like that it has a little bit of depth um, from the beginning to the end. Obviously, you get a little bit of heavy breakdown at the end, which is nice. Very heavy. It's, Break- al- it's almost like an homage to Nirvana or something. Yeah, it's really serious. It takes a serious turn. 
Um, oh, Radis Riff. I guess we can get into that. Sure. Um, the flute tremolo in verse two. Ah, I love that. Um, I'm a big Dispatch fan, and so mm. Dispatch uses the that kind of fluty kind of. I don't know what style that is, but well, if you check out this jacket, Dispatch is of a flute, actually. Oh, that's a very nice patch. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I paid uh, good money for Dispatch. I uh, bet you paid good money for that patch. <laughs> that patch. <laughs> that patch. <laughs> um, I love that sound too. You know, and and there is a credited flautist on this song actually a guy named greg vale to me though it actually sounds like a mellotron uh yeah you know the old tape run basically a proto um electronic keyboard synthesizer Mm -hmm. uh from the 60s that was used most notably probably on the intro to strawberry fields forever with flutes if you think of that that's a mellotron playing flutes right there oh yeah very cool yeah i loved hearing that as well whether it's organic or not i I love it my uh raddest riff is honestly the vocal melody oh cool i mean it is one of the sweetest melodies i've ever heard rivers write it's Mm -hmm. a great melody it's sung sweetly but it's exposed there is some gruffness in there um you know you could say it's emo or whatever i just find it human and i really like it yeah, and and what's cool, and I'm always drawn to this sound is that vocal melody is out of the pentatonic scale, the major pentatonic scale, and that sounds like a big word, but it's actually a very simple scale. Penta, of course, meaning five. Right. Most proper major and minor scales are seven notes. Mm-hmm. The musical alphabet is seven notes. Well, the major pentatonic gets rid of two of those, and the two notes it gets rid of are the most problematic notes in music to kind of work around. Mm -hmm. So it's like a very safe scale. Imagine this, if you walked up to a piano, anyone could do this. If you only played black keys, it's a beautiful sound. Mm -hmm. And some say, oh, that sounds like, you know, Japanese music or whatever. But if you played in a different place, it would sound like blues. And if you played it starting off a different note, that's the pentatonic scale. So that's what he's singing out of here. And I just am always drawn to pentatonic melodies. It's the scale that has transcended all culture. From the East to the West to the Middle East uh, to Native American culture, everything in between, Um, Africa, pentatonic scales, because they're so simple and easy to make on instruments out of bone, out of wood, uh, you know, it's easy to make five notes. It's tough to make 12. Yep. You know, it's tough to make seven, but I think that's part of the reason that pentatonicism is so prevalent through all culture. That's great. So what do we dislike about this? I enjoy the songwriting of it, but it doesn't pull me back to re-listen to it all the time. Right. That's yeah, much, that's pretty much the, where I'm at. You know, it may be that kind of uh, w- we talked about on a previous uh, podcast that kind of Metallica effect. The the one ballad on a Metallica record sounds like the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. Yeah. Like nothing else matters, just mm-hmm. sounds so beautiful in the context of the Black Album. But yeah. it's like, well, of course, but it's right up against Sad but True, which is just yeah. like ugly music, you know. Yeah. And, and this is almost filling that role. It's not among ugly songs, mm-hmm. but this one, it's like, oh, good. It just sounds like they're. Him playing and singing. Exactly. And that's, you know, that may be why it, it rises. Why to the top. Exactly. Quite truthfully, I don't love how it ends up rocking at the end. I Much like Endless Bummer, which I like that ending much better than this one. Yeah. But if you remember Endless Bummer, I'm like, why can't it just be a quiet song? Yep. But what a great guitar solo at the end of that. This just kind of gets aggressive for the sake of being really aggressive. aggressive. yeah. And maybe it was almost a compromise to say, uh, well, it's got to fit in on this record. And right. if it's just this sweet thing, you can hear the acoustics still happening at the very end as the thing just kind of messily breaks apart and, and ends and kind of like a, almost an unsatisfying cadence at the end and resolution. You can hear the acoustics still going. That was definitely the core of this. And I think yeah. they just decided to, again, amp it up and ramp it up and make it a rock song at the end. But the strum is just straight out of, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Exactly. 
But I guess that's all the bad stuff I have to say. I would love to hear, actually, if we could, the orchestral build out of the bridge and into the outro. I would love to. What's up, buddy? Have you seen my sacks? I'm sorry, your what? My sacks? Oh, well, I think... I mean, you're wearing one. Are you, you're just missing the other one? Where's my sacks? Well, you have the one over here, and then the other one... Oh, look, it's under your guitar case. Ah, oh, there's my sacks. Mom made my sacks. She knitted it with her hands. Sex making is a family tradition. So this is a funny song. Yes, it is a funny song. This intends to be a funny song. Exactly. Is it funny in the way it intends to be a funny song? I think it's funny on two levels. Uh-huh. Because it's funny when you first hear it and don't know the backstory, and then it's even funnier when you learn out the story. When did you get hip to the fact that it was like a play? Okay, so let's just say, where's my sex? If you just replace the word sex with socks and change some tenses of things, then, you know... The song still makes sense. The song still... The song arguably makes more sense. Yes. In so much a song about not knowing where your fucking socks are makes any sense to be on a record in 2010 from a popular rock band. Yeah. But, you know, I almost admire that to some degree. It's hilarious. I think the hilarity of someone thinking this was a good idea is funnier than the actual execution. Yeah, fair enough. So when did you get hip to it? Did you know? So I knew about mm, three days ago. (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay. So it's not like you heard it and were like, is he... Like, you didn't realize it yourself. Right. I also completely misunderstood the first verse. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, the very first time I heard it, I thought it said, I need my sex 
she wanted it with her hands. Oh, okay. I That's thought what, it was she needed it with or, her hands. Or, yeah, yeah, she needed it with her hands. Yeah. Uh, Me and, too, and I thought it was and, funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was good. Exactly, and I was like, okay, so this is definitely about sex, and then he's like, sex making is a family tradition. I was like, well, obviously it is, because that's <laughs> That's genetic. my most laughable lyric, <laughs> by the way. Sex making <laughs> is a family tradition. No one would even say socks making. Yeah. Is this Ron Jeremy's kid? <laughs> Uh, and I thought that was funny just because, yeah, obviously sex making is a family tradition. Actually, you know, we're doing fa- it for generations. River's father was actually a porn star. Did you know? No. Yes. His name was Daryl Como. Ew. Yeah, he just dropped the O. Well, I mean, that's convenient. But, but... He dropped a lot of O's, actually. Oh, he just dropped one here. <laughs> so anyways, this song, um, upon first listen, you're like, okay, so he's either talking about incest or... He's just the exact opposite guy who wrote Tired of Sex. Right. Um, and so the first time I heard it, that's what I thought the joke was. It was tough for me to kind of pin it down. I knew I didn't really like the song. Mm-hmm. I will say it doesn't sound like a song that I generally like. Yeah. I don't like the descending A minor chord progression. I like it in the 1960s. I don't like it now. It's just been done too much. We're yeah. just walking down through a scale. A minor, G, F. E. It, you know, I just, it doesn't do anything for me. I can hear it. You just hear it so much. You go, what am I listening to? Stairway to Heaven or something, you know? Right. So I knew I didn't really like the song. And then when I actually read the lyrics and then got the backstory of what it's he was going great. for, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But this is the only one star song on the record for me. Wow. It's, it's noteworthy, mm-hmm. but it's not good. Wow. Yeah. I mean, would this be in the top half of your, this record for you? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's just I I find it more entertaining than anything else, and I think it stands out more than almost anything else on the record mm. in terms of things that I I hear and you remember. You know, there's that first listen through of the record. You you always have those couple standout songs that when you go back, you're like, oh yeah, I remember listening. Sure, this obviously is one of them. Uh, same for me. <laughs> um, just because yeah. it's so unique sonically and so unique lyrically. Yeah, and it's. The only song that doesn't, I think, take itself too seriously. Oh, yeah. No, not at for all. Sure. I would um, say it's, I mean, it's the closest thing on this record to um, Thank God for Girls. Right. Well, no. Well, maybe. Well, obviously, Smart Girls coming up. Right. But I think lyrically, because I think lyrically, this one's more just ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Than Smart Girls. Right. Smart Girls is a ghastly and ludicrous song. I yep. describe this in my notes as a ghastly song. <laughs> which, I think I know. think we should probably get people hip to what we're talking about because we haven't explained the how this song was written. Right. Okay, so, well yeah. So basically this is a song a song about socks mm-hmm. in yep. which the word socks throughout is re- replaced with sex because yeah. his daughter came up to him and said Daddy, where's my sex? And she meant socks. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, I didn't and, know that. And she, yeah. So the daughter comes up and says, "Where's my sex?" Referring to her socks. And he's like, "Where's my sex?" That's a good song title. And then he decided to write a song all about socks. Oh my god! And wrote that, and then changed it to sex, and then kind of took on this alter ego with this crazy lyric. Yeah. His voice, the timbre of his voice, is so monstrous and golem-like again. Yeah. I I like it just because it it entertains me thoroughly. Uh, it is very entertaining. I I would never, if I were to put on Hurley again, I don't think I would skip it just because it'll make me laugh. Not necessarily, like I said, for the right reasons, but yeah, it's better than the middle of the road stuff mm-hmm. that's really I will never listen to again. That's yeah. on this record. Uh, some of which I've really heard. Never, yeah, you know, I so, probably never listen to this record ever again. And at all, and be okay. Okay, <laughs> I, it'll it'll probably fall into something, but I don't think I will ever actively put on this record. Yeah, yeah. 
I could see that. This song does have a co-writer. I wonder at which point the co-writer, you know, could have said like, "Hey Rivers, we're we're going with this thing. We're really <laughs> we're really doing it." But anyway, his name is Greg Wells. Greg Wells. And he is a writer, producer, multi-instrumentalist who has worked with Katie Perry? Yes. 21 Pilots. Pilots. <laughs> uh, crash test dummies and count chocula. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. This is a fun game. <laughs> Amazingly, it's Count Basie Orchestra. Oh, wow. How about this one? Keith Moon. Ah, no, Urban. This oh, is so a- he's a guy from the city. Let me think. Keith Richards. Damn it, Chris. What? Country star Keith Urban. Oh, I got it. You sounded just like him. I know. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, amazingly, though, he is a really accomplished musician. So much so that he's had features written about him in Modern Drummer, Keyboard Magazine, Electronic musician, American songwriter, and mix magazine. Wow. The brother can do it all. Well, everything except keeping Rivers from writing this song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Should we do lyric and riff real fast? Yeah, let's do it. So you already said your lyric. Yes. Which was? Sex making is a family tradition. Very good. Mine is the following. Going back to the caveman days, they were walking around in a haze until they figured it out. And they said, gosh, dang, this is great. Oh. That's so good. That's so fucking funny. Gosh dang. Gosh dang, this is great. Oh, gosh dang. That's usually what I say after I bust a nut. (laughs) After I find my sex. Once I've found my sex under the bench, I say, oof, gosh dang, that was great. Under the bench. Oh, you sure it wasn't in your shoe closet? Pretty sure. Wow. You never know. Do you have a shoe closet? I mean, it's just my closet. Right. They're just on the bottom of it. Oh. And when you have sex in your shoe closet. When I do. Are you on the bottom with the shoes? Yeah, I get to try on a different pair every position. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, we're going to doggy. I'm putting on the Nike Freeze. <laughs> um, let's see. Hey, How about Riff? I have a, a, a small little thing. Again, it was this one was kind of a struggle for me. Uh-huh. Mine is there is a little contrapuntal upward, downward Oh, speaking of sex in the shoe closet, uh, motion at the end of verse two. As the guitars go up, the bass goes down. It kind of sounds cool. Maybe we'll just hear that real quick. Yep, that's, yeah, about, that's about it. About four seconds of the song that yeah. I enjoyed. And I got those little, uh, those pinch harmonics, because I love pinch harmonics. Like mm. anytime, that he, just those random like, Sure. Uh, they did that, you know, a lot in uh, Pork and Beans. Another it's controversial like you... song. Uh, definitely. Okay, let's think. Oh, my God. We c- oh, the bridge. Oh. What? How what? did we forget about that? What happens? <laughs> Talk about a Green Day reference. For starters. Yep. Okay, that so they the were most... play- they're playing this one song, and then all of a sudden, like, guys, wait, 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 wait. Let's go up. I have a new song, <laughs> but I don't want to play it for that long. So let's just put it in the last 30 seconds of this song. Let's go from minor to major. Let's go from straight to swing. Let's go up a half step with yeah, no With setup, no relation. No transition. The part unto itself is kind of charming. It's, yeah. It's actually And I like fun. how it comes back into the heavy power descending line. I yeah. think it, it works okay. Let's hear it. Right. So they... They accidentally, Sean Everett literally had a bonus track that he accidentally clipped and slipped into there. That's right. Really, this is an 11 song 
album with the song 11 being that bridge. Yeah, so weird. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. I think it's funny. I think it just keeps up with the ridiculousness of the song. Sure. I I was legitimately shocked when I first heard that. I was yeah. like, what? No, I looked at my phone to be like, oh, new song. Yeah. Yeah, I thought like Spotify fucked up or something. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I am very excited to hear your thoughts on this next song. Okay. So, about that song, I know you're on the edge of your seat. Ah, I fell off! Oh, ah! wow, that startled me. Oh. I was not expecting Get up. Pull yourself together, man. I can't feel my ass. Well, yeah, you fell off your chair because you're sitting. Why did I actually fall off my chair? That's, I don't, that's a good question. Who was no, that for? No one can answer that. I this really is a podcast. They don't. Oh, <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, this song, to me, I don't actively dislike it, but I don't actively like it. Okay. I'm very bored by this song. Okay. Would you say this is better or worse than a song like Ruling Me? Good question. Worse. Okay. Okay. I could see this not being your style of song as much as something yeah. like that. Right. Um, this is a song. I, this is maybe the only song on the record that I really like. Okay. You know, because it sounds like music that I like. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the weird thing with Weezer. Like, their reference points are Green Day and things like that a lot of the time. They're peers, I'll say. Sure. But this was written with Ryan Adams. Mm-hmm. That's someone who I have the been listening to. of 69. Oh, damn it. Love that guy. Damn it. <laughs> We've talked so much about Ryan Adams. Uh, I can't believe we would make that mistake again. Mm. Oh, God, I really hurt my forearm. Uh, <laughs> so, we have talked about this guy in passing, obviously. Ryan Adams. Let's get this out of the way. Let's just talk about him real quick. Let's talk. Really one of the more significant and prolific American singer-songwriters of the past 20 years. Uh, He released a debut record, Heartbreaker, which was released in the year 2000, to immediate critical acclaim. And his subsequent work as a songwriter and producer for such acts as Willie Nelson, Jenny Lewis, and La Sara, who we talked about, Mm. of course, during the uh, Mexican Fender portion of the first episode, um, has been consistently intriguing, I think. Like my personal favorites from him, and I'm a big fan of his, are uh, his 2005 release, Jacksonville City Nights, which is with the Cardinals. That's an amazing kind of um, almost rootsy record. Ashes and Fire from 2011. Um, and his confounding yet compelling song by song cover album of Taylor Swift's 1989, which I recommend everyone go and listen to wow. if you can. Uh, it's a really um, sincere take on that record, actually. And it strips away all the pop and really makes it a songwriter's record, and it works. And also his most recent record, uh, which just came out, uh, I guess, yeah, just last year. Uh, It was called Prisoner, um, and 
boy, it was a wonderful return to form as well. The guy is a hell of a songwriter. I've been thinking about you, baby, but on my mind. Why can't I feel your love? Heart must be blind. What can I So there's Do You Still Love Me from that record. That's great. That's a great song. So good. Cool production, too. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so this song for me, like I said, I love this song. I love how it starts with the lo-fi treatment, Mm -hmm. and I like that it doesn't overstay its welcome in this case. Sure. We're about to hear, at the end of this record, maybe such a treatment that way overstays its welcome, Mm -hmm. and perhaps Mara's a pretty good song. Uh, Here, it's just the right amount. It's a cool melody, kind of. So this song's in D. It's in standard tuning. And it came together very quickly. Uh, Rivers actually talked about working with Ryan Adams here, and he said, it was super fun working with Ryan. He's got a lot of crazy energy and enthusiasm. That's definitely true. I showed him a few ideas I had, and he said, great, let's go in the studio and jam it out right now. So I got on the drums, he got on guitar, and we just jammed out ideas for half an hour. At the end of that, we pretty much had the song you hear on the record. And this song certainly does sound like a band learning a song. In a way, yeah. It's I so loose. And there's an inconsistency to it that's actually kind of cool sure and endearing yeah some of the guitar voicings are really raw and strange you know it's in d and it's like i said standard tuning not drop down but like he's doing an interesting voicing on the g chord where he's incorporating a c sharp oh wow which makes a g sharp 11 chord which Mm -hmm. is kind of gnarly and then there's two pre-choruses in the song they have different chord progressions wow one is a standard like two five and the next one which is e minor to a the next one goes e minor to b minor nine Wow. Which kind of functions as an A because a minor nine of a B is actually C sharp, which is in the A chord, and it leads to, you know, maybe where they want to go. But it's really interesting. That's but cool. you know what chord follows up both of those? G minor. G minor. Where in the key of D, he uses that minor four, which is a sound that many would associate with the Beatles or something. Yeah. You know, to kind of get back home. But here's the interesting thing home is D, right? Mm-hmm. You know what the G minor goes to? G major seven. Oh, wow. Opening it right up. That should not work. Like it, And to my ears, it works beautifully. And it's a rare progression that I heard and I said, I don't know what that is. Like I just didn't, there's no precedent for such a sound. And I'm so excited when I hear stuff like that. So between the feel of the song, kind of enjoying it. I don't think the lyrics are great, but I do love the melody. Yeah. And just the sound and the spirit of the song coupled with the harmony that we just talked about. I mean, this song has a lot going for it for me. Um, is there anything you particularly like about this one? Can't say I do. <laughs> I do okay. not share the enthusiasm with this song. <laughs> Obviously, I don't have an ear tuned quite as uh, precisely as yours. Um, so I just find it relatively flat, even though there's a lot of change harmonically and melodically. I don't know. Just doesn't get me get me going really. And the yeah, the lyrics are just kind of so so. What about the choruses? I actually uh, it's one of my maybe my favorite part on the record is the choruses of this song. Which is G major 7 to A major, very simple chord progression. If you think about it, it's basically the same chord progression, though in a different key, of like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. It has an airiness to it and a Mm. lightness. And this is a melody that gets stuck in my head. The running out of time part just really, really works for me. Yeah. The ooze are nice. The ooze are amazing. The ooze are really, real pretty. The secret of the ooze. Yeah. 
Um, uh, how about laughable lyric? I couldn't come up with one. Wow. I really couldn't. I the the lyrics were so plain to me. Yeah, they are a little plain. In fact, I had to spice one up here. So, uh, mine is you could smash all my windows with the throw of a rock, which to me reads like a direct translation from a romance language such as Italian, in which case it would be Lancio de una rocha. Wow. Throw well, of a rock. Well, when you change the language, it sounds so much better. <laughs> Funny how that works. You should right? try that with the whole record. <laughs> we'll have some better lyrics. There are some lyrics I don't like on this record, though. I, on this song, I, I will say, at the end of the bridge, the rhyming of alone and telephone and why and cry. I mean, it's just that kind of adolescent, yeah, early rhyming kind of stuff. You could tell it came together fast. Yes. You know, and Ryan Adams is not always the most, because he writes so fast, he's not always the most thoughtful lyricist, and you see sure. some of that here. And honestly, the only other thing I dislike about it for me is it's too short. I just, it's oh, just barely are. three minutes or maybe just under. And I mean, it's the perfect length. It like shouldn't be longer, but like if any space I could be in for longer on this record, it'd be like this. Yeah. You know? So I guess on that note, maybe let's move on to the next song. Let's Sounds do like it. You yeah. are speechless. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> I'm without speech. Hang on. And we're back. Okay. So we have some instrumentation. We sure do. That's different. So that's nice. We do. Some strings and some bells and all that nice stuff. And a mandolin. Yeah, I like it. Played by? Who plays mandolin on this? All right. Well, let's think about this. I mean, you'll never guess because it's so crazy. But like, who would you think would play mandolin on a rock song by a band? Just in general? Yeah. Who plays mandolin? Uh, who plays mandolin? <laughs> All right. So, not a musician. Not someone you think of as being a musician. The mandolin on this is played by none other than George Michael Bluth. What? Michael Cera. Seriously? Yes. Seriously. Wow. <laughs> Seriously. Holy crap. Yeah. He plays mandolin. And it's a great part. Good Truly, job. my raddest riff is, the, is, is uh, the mandolin part out of the bridge. Yeah. It's fantastic. Now, of course... There's a lot of effects, there's delay, it feels like the biggest sound in the world, but that is a mandolin played by Michael Sarah. Very cool. Killing it. That's so great. Yeah. There's actually a cool, I mean, I don't know, it's not great, but there is a video of Michael Sarah and Edgar Wright uh-huh. on Danny Bonaducci from the Partridge Family, his radio show, doing like a morning drive time radio interview. Okay. And for some reason, they whipped out a guitar and Michael Sarah. They were like, what do you want to play? And, and uh, Edgar Wright said, how about Undone Sweater Song by Weezer? And he played it. 
And Danny Bonaduce was like, I don't know this song. What is this? But And it's like kind of crummy or whatever, but they try to sing it and it's kind of yeah, cute. Yeah. So there's another Weezer parallel there. Cool. Because I think I just Googled Michael Cera Weezer. Because when I saw the credit, I said, well, that can't be that Michael Cera. Sure enough, it is. That's crazy. Yeah. So cool. Okay. So that aside, what do we think of the song? Uh, it's, uh, it's all right. It's an okay song. It is all right. It's absolutely all right. <laughs> it's absolutely all right. You know? Not great. <clears throat> no. Same thing with the lyrics, middle of the road, kind of. We're in love and everything's great and just hang on and everything's fine. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay, fine. For sure. So this did have a co-writer, a guy named Rick Knowles, and he's collaborated with uh, Celine Dion, Lana Del Rey, Madonna, and both Scary and Ginger Spice. What? Both of the spices? Two of the spices. Oh, not, yeah, I shouldn't say both. There's way more than that. But... Yeah, sure. Well, three more, you'd have a full spice rack. Two out of five. <laughs> Though with Ginger, I think you've got the best rack of all. Oh no doubt. <laughs> so, uh, what? What? Uh, anything particularly stand out for you with this one? They were really channeling early two thousands Green Day. Oh, <laughs> they, still, you think so? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Particularly in this song, this is something that sounds like it would be on Warning. I think mm, right, uh, yeah. a little more sophisticated than something that they would write up. Uh, but in general, that kind of happy, uh, very majory, yeah, just open feeling, feeling good song. It sounds like post millennium REM to me. Okay. You yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Definitely, definitely. And there's actually an element in this song, and I'm going to play it right now, that is straight out of an R.E.M. song. I'm not sure that's a direct reference, but I mean, but that background vocal close enough. is hang on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. By the way, that's who I thought you were going to say when I said, who would you think playing a mandolin? I thought you were going to say Peter Buck. Oh, that's a good guess. Or, Buck, or Peter Dollar Bill. Peter Dollar Bill. <laughs> I love the vocal melody. On I don't know the words to say in the verse when mm-hmm. he goes up, just basically walking up the scale. That's a great that now that sounds like Rivers to me. Yeah, that's like the way in which his voice strains and it's true. That feels like home to me. I love that sound. I like the lyric over and over. We swore it was over. Yeah, I think that's a good a that's good heavy. use of redundancy yeah. and, and a nice uh, strong sentiment for sure. There's an interesting credit on this too. In addition to the mandolin, another <laughs> even more kind of like traditional instrument. Tony Berg on Hurdy Gurdy. He plays the Hurdy Gurdy on the song? Hurdy Gurdy. A medieval instrument. Yeah, isn't it like a, a pedal powered piano, basically? I, it's tough it's to like even describe. Organ. I think there's like a crank involved. Yeah. I, I saw I remember one learning once. about that. Yeah. In AP music theory back in high school. So, of course, there's a popularized, uh, th- that instrument was popularized in the Donovan song, Hurdy Gurdy Man, which can be Hurdy at the beginning of Zodiac. David Fincher. The David Fincher film. Yes. Yeah, nice. Hurdy Gurdy Man ha- is through the opening sequence of the first Zodiac killing that we see. Um, spoiler alert. Um, but uh, that's a really cool thing. And so Donovan has this song, Hurdy Gurdy Man. He wrote it while studying transcendental meditation in Rishikesh, India with the Beatles wow. in 1968. It was in that time that he taught John Lennon how to finger pick. Nice. From which he wrote Dear Prudence and uh-huh. Julia off that record, two of my favorite songs of all time by anyone. And then when they actually went to record this song, oh, and I should say George Harrison actually contributed a verse to Hurdy Gurdy Man, wow. which Donovan actually had to cut because of, we talked about um, making a song work on the radio. Mm-hmm. They had to cut Too a long. verse. And they, they lost the George Harrison verse, but he did collaborate on that song. And it may be apocryphal, but there are many people who believe that the backing band on this song includes John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, and John Bonham Wow! before Led Zeppelin, or right around the time it was forming. Because uh, John Paul Jones actually wrote the arrangement for it and kind of uh-huh. almost produced the sessions, and Eddie Kramer, uh, the, the wonderful engineer from the 60s, uh, and still um, 
engineered it. Anyway, way off track, but hurdy-gurdy. I don't know how that would have gotten involved in this. I mean, where do you hear the hurdy-gurdy? I know. It's I guess at a knows. Renaissance fair. I mean, in this Or song. medieval fair. Oh, I don't hear it. I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's just in that post-bridge section. Actually, let's hear Let's hear Michael Sierra's contribution, and let's, let's really listen out for that hurdy-gurdy. One of the better releases out of a bridge into a chorus on for the this, record. Yeah. Par for the chorus, I guess. Uh, maybe above, uh, above par, par, but lower than par for the career. Correct. <laughs> uh, did we say lyric? No, no. Uh, mine are the... I had two, both of the, the pre-choruses. Uh, just like Wild Clover, Love Grows at Light Speed. And just like I'm Solar, You Warm Up to Me. Both of those. Sure, I'll go with one of those. I actually didn't even write one down. Yeah. <laughs> I did really say one I liked, so at least I at least I did listen to the lyrics. But yeah, yeah, middle of the road song, mm-hmm. really middle of the road. It's just uh, the chorus has some pretty banal lyrics, I will say. Again, friend, and these kinds of yeah. rhymes like we just talked about. Um, maybe let's just hear the end of last chorus to the end of the song and and, and keep moving with the record. Beautiful. Smart Girls, dumb song? Yes and yes. But boy, do I love me some smart girls. Oh, sure. I love intelligent women. Absolutely. The first time I heard the song, I was like, oh, maybe he's actually talking about smart girls. No. <laughs> well, no. the original name, well, as you know. Hot Girls. Yes. As if it wasn't chauvinistic enough. Well, I, th- I do think it was good judgment to change the name. Yeah, but it doesn't do that much. I mean, if you called it I don't hot- think he changed a lyric. <clears throat> no, but I mean, to call it Hot Girls would have been terrible oh yeah yeah yeah. it's not that much better no smart girls but i mean good god it comes off as almost at least a a wink you know right it's like yeah i don't know yeah so co-written here a couple co-writers uh tony canal yeah and jimmy harry yeah no doubt yeah the bass player the bass player gwen stefani's former lover yeah before gavin rosdale yeah you know before that was uh, what is his name aaron i forget his last name of real big fish Oh, is that right? Yeah, they dated, and then she broke up with him, and then dated uh, the bassist, and then broke up with him, and... Then on to Bush. On to Bush. I thought you were going to say Aaron Lewis of Stained. No. Um, Aaron, he, Aaron Barrett, I think his name? No. I don't remember. Oh, from Real Big for Fish? RBF, yeah. RBF. I didn't know you were on acronymic basis with them. Big time, yeah. I, wow. love, I love those guys. How about that? There's a time for everything. 
So the other co-writer here is a guy named Jimmy Harry. His friends call him James Harold. He's a writer and producer who has also worked with Madonna, Pink, Kylie Minogue, and Santana. Some big names. Yes. C. C is for big names. <laughs> is it now? Uh, yep. In a Rolling Stone interview, Rivers said that he wrote it about all of these hot girls all over him and him being married and him not being able to do anything. Uh, That's a direct quote from what, Rolling Stone. What a drag. <laughs> what a tough life he's got. Man, I just have these hot girls all over me all the time. On the bar. In the stool. In the car? Under the beach. <laughs> Under the beach. I bury him in the sand. <laughs> just keep him away from me. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, it's the exact opposite of tired of sex. Yeah. Now he can't have it. You know, grass is always right. greener, Rivers. Jeez. He should have just written a song called Tired of Not Sex. <laughs> Tired of not sex. That's what all my girlfriends end up saying. My last name is not. <laughs> Man, I'm tired of not sex. Aw, that's sad. Right. I know. So some things I like about this, I do like that it's honest. Yeah. I can only assume it's an amplified depiction of River's sexual appetite, but it feels pretty... I mean, he's... Right on. Yeah. It seems like he's taking supplements. Sure. Like a horny goat weed or something. Sure. He's, he's found his sex in all these smart girls. He has. Um, Do you think he's actually doing it? Do you think he ever cheated on Kyoko? Yeah. Okay. Some tremendous female names used here. I particularly like Sheena, Lola, Fabiola. <laughs> always gotta, always gonna... got to steal my thunder. You were going to? That, well, that was going to be my laughable lyric. Oh. That name. <laughs> Fabiola. Fabiola. I want to know if these are real names of smart girls that he met. Oh, yeah, sure. Or if he's just making up or, things to make the rhyme scheme go. Hopefully hot girls at the very least. Yeah. I think Fabiola is actually just a girl with really nice areolas. Ugh. And he said, like, she's got Fabiolas. Fabiolas, bro. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Goodiola. Prettyola. You've got a goodiola, a badiola, and a shittyola. <laughs> I'm going to draw the... a picture with my Crayolas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guitar solo. Finally. A guitar solo. A guitar solo. Yeah, right. I haven't really, honestly, weirdly, that wasn't really even something I noted was that they were so light on I guitar did. solos. I did. There were none. I yeah. mean, if you even consider this a guitar solo. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. <laughs> well, no, there and is then a guitar the, the, the solo. solo itself. Maybe let's listen to it and okay. then talk about it. Just real quick, before we talk the solo, that little synth line that just happened there, that's my raddest riff. So good. And I find it to be a kind of an interesting reference to another White Album song. Let's see if you know what I'm talking about. Another song about girls. Yep. Those background vocals. Mm -hmm. I think the synth is kind of filling that role here. Very cool. So, yeah, not much of a solo. No. But I think it takes that Green Album safe, restate the melody approach to the guitar solo and takes it to the next level, at least. I feel it, yeah. More articulation, mm -hmm. hammers on, pulls off. Pulls off. For every hammer on, there must be a pull off. Oh, my God. Yin and yang, my friend. That's right. Is that not in the Tao Te Ching? I no, mean, it's in the Tao Te String. 
<laughs> My lamest lyric. No, it's definitely a laughable one. Smart girls sleeping in the buff. <laughs> sleeping in the buff. That's right. I, I, it's such a funny way to put it. Yeah. yeah. I think he means naked, right? Oh. Or are they just strong? If that's what it means, that's not funny. Nah, I'll stick with it. All right. My laughable lyric is still Fabiola. Fabiola. <laughs> Fabiola. So this song plays to me a little bit. Do you have any sense of the sound that they're emulating here, a, a sound that they're going for? I don't know. It's almost this like party rock with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, but you start you start out with that electronic like. Right. And that to me feels like. A very, very weak homage, but an homage nonetheless to something like the Postal Service. Oh, all right. I guess I could see that in a way. I think it's a very weak homage, but fair enough. Do you mean that it's barely a reference or it's an unsuccessful homage? Incredibly unsuccessful if that's what they're going for. (laughs) That's true. The Postal Service is actually a good band with good songs. Right. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Nothing Better by the Postal Service. Good choice. Will someone please call the surgeon who can crack my ribs and Obviously, more intricate drum, much more programming. So. Yeah, but a thinner texture. You know, yeah. less of a rock song for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, but same key, same kind of feel, same kind of tempo. Totally. That's a song. I it, this this may be a place to air this. I've talked about this with our friend Pete mm-hmm. in the past. That song has a lyric, a sports referencing lyric that always always got to me. And let me let me air it out here. Okay. I will block the door like a goalie tending the net. In the third quarter of a tie game rivalry, what among many things is wrong with that sentence? I'll block the door like a goalie tending the net in the third quarter of a tie game rivalry. Tie game rivalry? One, what the fuck is that? Have you ever watched sports? That What does that mean? Well, it's a rivalry between two teams and the score is tied. But it, yeah, but I think that's what he means to mean. But like but his the grammar. tie game rivalry. That's like saying like, oh, this is like one of the better tie games ever. It it's only rivals these other tied games. Oh. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, the grammar is all sorts of crazy. Yeah. Additionally, what is wrong with goalie tending the net in the third quarter? Because there's only two halves in soccer. And three periods in hockey. Right. And probably two halves in lacrosse. There's no But he says quarter. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's wrong. It should say period or half. Right. It's it, not basketball. Exactly. Quarters are football and basketball. So I always think anything with a goal is a period or a half, yeah. not quarter. So Ben Gibbard, he runs like ultra marathons, you know? Stick to the running metaphors, bro. Yeah, you don't know shit about organized sports, nerd.
Yeah! 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 Rivers, Cuomo wrote this song with Linda Perry. Oh my God, that's a brave new world for your voice. It was hard to do. Who's this Linda Perry character? Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes? That's right. The front woman. She's one of the famed brunettes. <laughs> you may know, of course, Four Non Blondes from... Which, uh, interest of full disclosure, that was my first ever Casingles wow. that I owned was Four Non Blondes, What's Up? That's awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, infamous. <laughs> infamous. infamous. Uh, later has become, actually, you would never think it from that time, you know, probably 1992, uh, 93 when that came out and was all over MTV. It's still a big song. You play that in a bar, people still will respond. Oh, yeah. No, I've done it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should be proud of that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but she's become actually a really go-to pop songwriter. In Hollywood, and she uh, most famously probably wrote and won a Grammy, I believe, for Beautiful by Extina Aguilera. Mm. Nice. She's also uh, famous or perhaps infamous for signing and distributing awkward songsmith extraordinaire James Blunt in the U.S. To which she said, hello, my lover. Hello, my friend. So this is a song about River's attempt to take the band's music in new directions Mm -hmm. and the other members' uncertainty about it. Absolutely. It's one of the songs that actually has a little bit of yeah. meaning and truth to it. And, you know, we talked about truth in, in the previous song. So, yeah, this song has some truth to it. And it's, uh, it's all right. It's fine. I thought you would like this one more. I don't know. I, I don't. <laughs> I, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I don't have too much. I don't, I don't know. I'm so lukewarm on this whole album. Yeah. So it's hard for me to feel like incredibly... I feel like a, I'm being a, a Debbie Downer, but I'm trying to be as positive as I can. Oh, no, you shouldn't pretend to like anything, for sure. But, like, of these songs, I would have assumed you'd like this one more for some reason. Yeah, it's okay. It's it's, right. it's weird. This one, I'm surprised I like it now as much as I do based on my initial response to it, which was like, ugh. Fuck is he singing? Donnie with brand new world. What, like what? I hate. I mean, that is my laughable. That's definitely my lamest lyric. Yeah, definitely. It's gar. It's just garbage. It's a garbage lyric. Yeah. If you're gonna use Aldous Huxley, yeah, you better be ready to freaking have all cannons firing. That's right. If you're gonna use Cliff Huxtable, you better be careful these days because Bill Cosby's in jail. Yeah, that too. But um, additionally, Jesus, we've mentioned Charlie Rose and Bill Cosby. We'll try to name Who do we got? We got Matt Lauer left. Oh, yeah. Save Matt Lauer for Ratitude. Okay. We'll call it Mattitude. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, terrible lyric. And of course, when we when you hear this is the dawning, you just think of the age of Aquarius. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, and, like when I first heard it, I go, God, but this is a terrible, just unoriginal way to say something. It's so faux grandiose. And, yep. Yeah. But once reading about it, and honestly, just hearing it a couple more times, and in the context of this record, I said, man, this thing at least has some teeth. Sure. You know, it's it's a really kind of... Um, it's a real song. It's a real song. It's, it's a, a song. thick texture. Mm-hmm. Cool blend of kind of fuzzy guitar, synthesizer, driving rhythm, good bass playing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a lot to like there. So should we talk about the bridge, I guess? Sure, take it to the bridge. Okay, the bridge is in the song. True. <laughs> also over the East River from yep. Brooklyn to Manhattan. Yeah, uh, I think it's okay. I think it kind of ties everything nicely. It's not my favorite. Um, no, mine neither. So. <laughs> okay, we talked about the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you brought it up. Yep. 
Here's, uh, let me get into the harmony a little bit. Okay. Because there's a lot to like here. And at first I found it a little bit off-putting. I thought, oh, what a weird change. Because this is a rare song on this record. And honestly, among Weezer, uh, at least in the last, really in this century, where they uh, changed some keys a little bit cool. throughout. So I, must, I think this one's in standard tuning for my ear. The verses are very basic, F sharp minor to D, kind of standard progression. The chorus, however, transitions down to an E major chord and then goes to a C chord and an A chord, all major. So we go from this verse in the key of D to all of a sudden we're hearing an E major chord, a C major chord, an A major chord, only one of which are in the key of D. Mm. And I just think that's an exciting sound. And of course, like I said, F sharp minor is home. But what happens is through the bridge, which is a very standard progression, basically we're in the key of E there again, and we basically go six, four, one, five, which is just boring. Like basically every chorus of every power pop song that you've heard or just pop song that you've heard in the past 15 years mm-hmm. has been that progression. Yeah. And like if you even go back to the 90s, that's like Zombie by Cranberries, you know, sure. Disarmed by Smashing Pumpkins, just very common progression. But then all of a sudden you hear an F sharp minor going to A, F sharp minor going to A. But F sharp minor doesn't really feel like home anymore because it's functioning differently. So it's the chord that we start the song on, but by the end of the bridge, it doesn't feel like that same chord. No, oh, I see. Which is a skillful thing to do and something that you can pull off, but it takes some work. And I think that the modulations, though, again, the first time I heard it, Ooh, is that working? Once I learned it, and once I just heard it twice and knew what to expect, I said, oh, I was almost excited to hear it. Mm-hmm. And also just because this album is so straightforward harmonically. Right. Simple chords, never leaving the key. I mean, very rare. This and Runaway stand out harmonically, and true, they true. really are the only two standouts. Yeah. So I do love that. Uh, I like that it's a rager. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. I mean, it's just a powerful song. And I like that it's, I like what it's about. I like that it's about taking creative risks. I don't think it's really a creative risk in, in and of itself. Not as a song. No. But he, the sentiment is there. The sentiment is it's cool. And I love that the band that he's writing about the response of taking these risks is it's the band it. that's playing this song. Yeah, it's cool. Isn't that cool? It's very neat. Very, very so, neat. So not that anyone's really thought about this song this much ever, <laughs> and but I think you should. I think this is a rare song on this record that has hidden depths. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's more of a grower. And it's the longest album, or it's the longest track on the album. That's true. There is a really cool section, too, at the end of the bridge. And, you know, we talked about the bridge earlier, but let's just hear the end of the bridge. Because when the woes come in, that's pretty good stuff. It is. Yeah, some pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. Time flies when you're listening to a mediocre Weezer record. Oh, boy. Does it, though? <laughs> I don't know. I've had fun with you. Yeah. I've had more fun talking about these songs with you than I have listening to it for the past three weeks. Sure. I understand that for sure. And we only got an extra week to listen to it when I was sick uh, right. <laughs> for recording. So, you know, thanks for hanging in there. You bet. And uh, I guess let's move on to the last song. Time Flies. Oh, 
yet my ears dear god i like lo-fi music sure you know it earlier and it worked yeah i love lo-fi music in fact i uh, i just cannot get behind the sound of this song no song notwithstanding the sound the sound of it is horrendous i was waiting for it to clarify it's like a bad warlitzer it's just i don't even know how to describe it yeah just so open and reverby for no reason i don't know it's so heavy on what feels like artificial tape warble, even if it's analog, I don't even care. It's not pleasing. It's not good. It's taking something that some very cool bands, I mean, more recently, a band like Guided by Voices, one of the great indie bands, really, of all time, guitar-based indie rock bands. This kind of sounds like their mid-90s stuff, B-1000 and and those kinds of uh, records, um, which can be abrasive to listen to, but still like pleasing in a certain ragtag sort of way. Other uh, kind of antecedents to this would be the kinks and the stones stuff in the 60s sure particularly street fighting man mm-hmm. by the stones which is basically an acoustic guitar played through a home tape recorder which obviously weren't very good in 1968 yeah it's pretty great to create a distortion that keith richards really liked the sound of but let's listen to that real quick and we'll hear that even that sounds super stable and pleasing relative to this sound Yeah, that's infinitely better. That's great. Infinitely better. It's just like took that and just turned it up to, you know, from a seven to like a nine. Yeah. And that's where they kind of lost lost the path a little bit. And they never bit. turned it down. No. And, it, and it's a shame uh, because there's some stuff to like about this song. Okay. Hit me. The guitar part is awesome. The acoustic guitar part is unlike anything that he's ever played on any acoustic song, certainly. Usually when he's wielding an acoustic, it's... Purely chordal strumming, mm-hmm. bar chords or open chords on something like Butterfly, or, you know, which is amazing, you know. But here he's really playing high up on the neck. He's he's outlining an A chord to a D chord. He's tuned down a half step. It has mm-hmm. this drone quality. The A is kind of ringing out for all of this kind of movement. And I really find it to be, it, it reminds me of like something like See My Friends by The Kinks, which is a cool song you guys should check out if you haven't heard it, which is kind of an Indian-inspired mm-hmm. acoustic guitar-based song. Um so I do like that, but I actively dislike the lyrics. Yes. Boring. Boring, lame, from the same school of home is where the heart is. Yeah. From any friend and Diane. Brave new world. It's like it's just, just that cliche, colloquial sort of thing that doesn't need to be in a song. Time flies and you're having fun should never be sung by a good songwriter. It just shouldn't. And speaking of a good songwriter... He collaborated with one on this song. Right. Legendary songwriter Mac Davis, famously known for writing some of Elvis Presley's biggest hits. That's right. Memories, not 
Not, not Weezer's. Not this memories. <laughs> Elvis Presley's memories. Right. The good one. Little less conversation, which mm-hmm. kind of took place later. After Elvis' death, actually, that song was released. Oh, crazy. right. And then the remix, of course, by uh, Junkie XL became a huge hit in 2002. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Was that the first release of that song? I'm pretty sure. Oh, interesting. Yes. This remake of an Elvis song became famous for being in the remake of an old movie. Like <laughs> a remake of an old song in a remake of an old movie. I just love the uh, it's just weird. Yeah. synergy there. Mm-hmm. I just watched Ocean's 8 on the plane ride to uh, Korea, and it was great. Wow. Yeah, it was on the plane. It was so good. You were on your way. Now, is this, can you talk about this now, about Kim Jong-un? Yeah. Are you comfortable talking about, I mean, I I don't want to get serious. We had a pretty good summit, actually. Oh, interesting. Funny enough, really nice guy. Great taste in food uh, when he's not holding it from his citizens of his country. I can see that he has great taste in food. Yeah. Motherfucker's rotund. He's got a little bit of a belly. He's less round than his dad, but. Right. Otherwise, we probably shouldn't talk too much. Okay. About that meeting. But it's so crazy because you got to see, I don't know, Chris has put him up on his Instagram. Those pictures of you with Dennis Rodman. Pretty cool, huh? Tremendous. I mean, being a big time basketball fan, that was pretty <laughs> oh huge. I got the worm. So cool. The worm and Zimmy in, uh, uh, oh God, I just wish I was with you there. To be a fly on the wall watching you guys play one-on-one. <sighs> he still got game. He's still got game, but it's nice because he smokes, what, two packs of cigarettes a day? Yeah, so he has a hard time catching up. My, yeah. heart, my cardio is way better than his. Way better than his. But he You're... can defend the shit out of me. Yeah, well, sure. And every rebound was his. Yep. But uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you had fun in Korea. It's good to have you back. Thanks. Uh, so I mentioned my lamest lyric, time flies when you're having fun. I mentioned my raddest riff, the acoustic guitar throughout, which I think is awesome. Uh, overall, I don't love this song. Same. It feels like one, here's the thing with this one, though. It feels like one I could have loved. Right. Well, you said that about a few. So I said that definitely about train wreck, mm-hmm. but this one I feel even more strongly. A different that you could have liked sonic it. treatment and a different hook lyrically, and boom, easily my top three favorite song on the record. Yeah, because I just like the the music so much. Mm-hmm. But no, this has a terrible bridge too. Right. I think we should hey play yeah, it just. Hey to, yeah. We got to play it just to show what a bad bridge is because we've been so spoiled yes, in the past three episodes. Yes, we have. Here's a shitty bridge, people. Full disclosure, oh we didn't even listen to that. I put in the clip, but we couldn't listen to no. it. No. But I'm glad you all just had to suffer. Through. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I hope you use your 15 or 30 second skip ahead button. So that's a shitty bridge for those of you who didn't know. Yep. That's a shitty bridge. This is a very lacking album closer. Yeah. Really oh. leaves you wanting a lot more. Yes. Let's just hear the end of it and then we'll sum up the record, talk about some critical reception and... Uh, Define our least favorite and our favorite songs. Okay. Oh, 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 it's over. Sorry. I I thought we had more time. Jesus. That That is a big book slamming shut, and I'm okay with it. (laughs) Slam the book shut on this record. Slam the gatefold shut. <clears throat> All right. So critical reception. All right. So surprisingly. Unbelievably the, when I read this. This album received generally favorable reviews mm-hmm. as described by Metacritic, where Hurley received a score of 68. Oh, Out of 100. So close to being my favorite number. <laughs> That's based on 15 positive, 12 mixed, and only one 
outright negative that review. That is mind-blowing. Yeah. I, I have to say, though, I was even more surprised by the Metacritic user reviews, which gave the record a surprisingly kind 7.4 rating. Wow. I'm, I'm literally running out of breath. <laughs> I'm baffled. I, I'm going to pass out. Don't. I can't do this. With, I cannot do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Chris. Just wrap up the record for us, would you? We Quite. know you loved it, so. So in an A-minus review for Entertainment Weekly, uh, critic Jeff Jensen, who actually weirdly got famous writing about loss. That's where I first started reading him. So oh, wow. Enough, here Full he circle. Yeah. Um, he said, Hurley represents a terrific rebound, a blast of sonic sweetness. <laughs> Not with a straight face. That finds the band integrating 60s pop influences, Beach what? Boys, Phil Fector, Wallace Sounds, what? Soundishness. Where? Into their tight punk pop songwriting. Mm. Also, punk pop. Isn't punk, it pop punk? Pop punk. Jeff Jensen, stick to loss, brah. Yeah, man. That review I'm, is, I want to lose that review. Why in the world is he writing music reviews? So in a classic bit of British music criticism, though this time not from NF- Enemy, but from the BBC... So the best songs on Hurley are immediately familiar, like an old lover's phone number you can't forget. <laughs> I'm surprised. Why didn't you, it's like you almost wanted to do a British accent and then you didn't commit all the way. I think I was doing Ben Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Perfect, right? That was pretty good. You thought Alec Guinness walked in the goddamn I room? I sure did. I was going to say, wasn't he in the original Ocean's Eleven? But I was thinking of Lady Killers, which was the movie oh, that was remade by the Coens. Right. Oh, man, that was great, too. <gasps> That's like the Hurley of Coen Brothers movie. I guess so. It's on the bottom of like every list, but I find I like it charming. It. Yeah, I like Hanks, it man. He was great. And I love the guy who like pops the cigarette in and out of his mouth. He's like, what? Oh, yeah. That was really funny. Yeah. Like, like that guy. Sure. And J.K. Simmons. J.K., I was going to so say. So good. But who the fuck cares what these critics have to Shuffling say? Shuffling my notes. The people want to hear what we have to say. Do they? Well, let's do it anyway. Do you want to start with your black album or should I? Or oh. should we go three, two, one? Oh, for Black They Owl. are not going to be the same. No. We are... This is probably the most divided we have ever been I thus think so. far. Only four... And, hold on. I need to make sure that I write the right ones. Uh, okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Time Where's flies. my sex? Okay. Time flies. Uh, it was, a, it was a, basically a tie. Between? That and train wrecks. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was very close to putting train wrecks and then... At least when Trainwrecks comes on, I don't want to skip it. Right. Where when Time Flies, I don't want to listen to it at all. Right. And that's a pretty good distinction because, yeah, I don't think... If I can avoid it, I probably will never listen to Time Flies again. Just for sound. I just don't want yeah. to hear that sound again. Definitely. Um, Where's My Sex? I basically talked about it. I, I said it was a ghastly song, and I, and I do feel that way. But it, it does have redeeming qualities. But it is one that... You know, we're into these the countdown now. We're into our actual songs. We didn't really say overall thoughts on the record. Mine would be, this record isn't as bad as people think it is. No, it's not. It's much more listenable than I think people give it credit for. Yeah, it's much more listenable than I thought it was when we even just glancingly mentioned it on our last podcast, because I was just getting to know it then. Right. I And I had... You know, like any of these things, you get closer to it and you, you develop a relationship with the songs to some degree. I probably listen to this the least out of any of the four records that we've done so far. Sure. Because I didn't enjoy it as much. Right. It's definitely my least favorite record we've done. Of the four, yeah, no doubt. But it, it, it's not my least favorite record that they've made. Would you give it a B minus or a B? No, it'd be no higher than a C. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Well, then what would you give Everything Will Be All Right in the End? Well, didn't you give, it oh, four, didn't you give that four stars out of five? 
Everything Will Be Alright in the End, I think, is a solid B, B-plus record for me. Cool. You know, because even, even like a middle-of-the-road Weezer record is pretty good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, in the continuum, it's right in the meaty part of the bell curve. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so, and Where's My Sex uh, just kind of offsets the balance of the record a little bit. It's mm-hmm. a little too novel. But I do think they have a song like that on every record. They do. Unfortunately, Back to the Shack would be it on... Yep. You know, uh, uh, thank God for girls. Thank if you're God not a fan girls, of that yeah. song, that's what Definitely. that does. Um, it's tough to say on Pacific Daydream, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, prob- oh, no, it's not. Uh, it feels Like Summer does that on Pacific Daydream. Because um, that's the most full-on adoption of that sound. Purely pop, yeah. You know what I mean? There's not enough Weezer in that song for most people. There's almost none. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that it's a bad song, but it's, sure. you know, it's... Yeah, that's the one. So there's always going to be an outlier, and this is the one. And well, honestly, well, let's keep an eye out for him on every record. Yeah. What's the What's the song that sticks out? Exactly. What's the stick out song. Stick out song. Um. So why don't you tell me your your third favorite song from the record? We're going to go three, uh, numbers three, two, and one. Three, two to one. Yes. Okay. Our favorite songs on the record. Chris, Num- what is your number three? Ruling me. Okay. Number three. It's a song that I enjoy listening to. Again, picking these top three was really, really hard because there wasn't any that I just absolutely blew my mind or really kept me coming back or even getting stuck in my head. But Ruling Me was one of the ones that I would listen to and still have the melody stuck in my head. And it, it varies enough that it's enjoyable enough for me. Sure. When that song starts every time, I just go, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't like this song. Right. You know, not that there aren't redeeming elements of it, but I, uh, yeah. That and it also has my favorite the- lyric in the album, too. The ocular nerve pops in. Absolutely. So it's too good. It is a great lyric. Yeah. Okay, cool. So my number three uh, song on this record, as well as Aldous Huxley novel. No, no, it, that has to be my number one. Uh, right, right. Just just sneaking ahead of Ape in Essence. Oh, nice. <laughs> in the doors of perception. No, um, no, it would be Brave New World. Okay, cool. It's my cool. number three. Nice. It was it, it, it definitely str- firmly in my top three. Cool. Um, but yeah, number three. Surpri- liked it a surprising amount, does some cool things harmonically, good thick texture, a good use of this kind of grittier sound. Nice. Um, yeah. Cool. I, I sur- I'm surprised that I like it. Me too. <laughs> but that's cool. Right on. All right, number two. Unspoken. Me as well. Yay. We always have number two. We do. Number two is always the same. That's right. And we said we record this while pooping, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Our number twos are always the same. Well, yeah. What do you like about it? I like probably the color and the smell. Ah, it's tough to say. Smell and then color. Okay. Um, oh, of the song. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I love the melody. Nice. I like the sound. I like the singing. I love the lyrics. Um, I, the only thing I don't like, again, is, is that it felt it needed to rock. But I also don't think that's a, a, a grievous mistake or anything. No, I don't think so. I think it picks it up and elevates it a little bit and yeah. keeps it on the same playing field as the other songs. Right. Um, I like how different it is, and I, I think overall it's one of the better constructed songs. For sure. So, yeah. You nailed it. Nice. You want to go three, two, one and say our number one? I do not think they will be the same, but let's do it. No, they will not. All right. Ready? Three, three two, two, one. one. Where's my away. sex? <laughs> oh, we have to have a name for when... Your favorite's my least favorite. Yeah. We have to have a name for it. Uh, we'll come up with a something. A flip-flop or a flippery-do or something. It's got to have a, it's gotta have a Weezer reference. Though, right. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's yang. I don't know. We're going to think about it right here on the air. If anybody has ideas for what that would be called, please email us at wheeztalkandwheeze to the, at gmail.com. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll get mine out of the way, and then you talk. Where's my sex? Because I've talked more about where's my sex, and I don't like it. Right. So I want to. I want to hear your thoughts there. Runaway. I've already talked enough 
frankly, for myself about Runaway. Um, it has a humanity to it. Yeah. That is so lacking on this record. And, and it, it has air. It feels like people playing in a room. It feels like people th- fingering their way through a song. Sure. And and again, that's very welcome in the context of this record. It's very welcome on any modern Weezer record because we miss blood and skin and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Being in these songs. And whenever we hear it, and usually it's vocally and on guitar, those are the two places you'll hear it really on the modern Weezer stuff, you know, okay. White Album more than any of these last couple probably i may i may just not be thinking right because we've been talking now for several hours but um i just it's a bit of an outlier not just on this record but in the last 10 years of weezer and i really like it again it resembles more music that i would actually listen to or write even or write for sure yeah definitely right on well i guess for me it's the exact opposite in a album full of songs that don't grab my interest or don't pique my curiosity this is the only one that really stood out and even though I might not like it musically in terms of the the melody and the harmonies, I think it truly it entertains me more than any other song. It's so, entertaining as hell. Exactly. So that's that's kind of what draws me to that song the same way that Thank God for Girls draws me. Except just Thank God for Girls is actually a good song and has nice melody and all that good stuff. But in the end, I'm a consumer and I'm looking to be entertained, whether it's by a great chorus or a great beat or whatever it is. When you write a song like that, that's really funny and has a great backstory. I'm into it, so I like it. No, and I d- and I don't actually really like that much on the record, so it wasn't that hard to pick put this one up there. <laughs> that's true. You're like, oh, I don't hate this. This is fun. Exactly. I've thought about this a couple times since hearing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Well, that entertained you. We hope that we've entertained you, the listener, out there over the course of this episode. I know this isn't one that maybe anyone would be jumping to listen to, but it's. Good to talk about these less discussed songs, sure. less discussed records. It's good to learn new Weezer music, new to us Weezer music, right? Which will be true of the next couple of records we do. We may we're going to talk off air. We may take a break from the records for the next episode, just to mm-hmm. break up finding nice things to say about things we don't necessarily have enthusiasm for. Sure. So, and we, we do don't want to get ideas. jaded. We don't want to get jaded at all. We want to enjoy doing this and we, exactly. And I still, I was just saying to Chris off air as well that I actually felt very in command of these songs. And I don't know if it's because they're simpler or because I had a little more time with them or whatever. Uh, for some reason, I just said, okay, I know what these songs are. I get what they're, what they're doing. I can talk about them. Um, I, didn't, I found it a lot easier than with Everything Will Be All Right in the End, but I think it's probably more because of the depth of the songs just not being there. You sure. know? There was just less to say. But um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. We're going to try to turn a, an episode around a little faster too. We're going to, we're going to throw this out midweek this week and hopefully have one for you next week as well, awesome. just to make up for our missed week. We want to keep doing this. We enjoy doing it. Honestly, I was just under the weather and Chris, yeah, obviously, we so as, much fun. as we talked about was in North Korea. So, you know, we, we had to do what we had to do. I was willing to record it across the ocean. He was going to Skype it in mm-hmm, but, from pa- Pyongyang. Yeah. But like you said, the, the lo-fi has been really bugging us and we didn't want my vocals to be lo-fi for that's this right episode. we need the hi-fi wi-fi hi-fi wi-fi because as harris riddles once said wi-fi because fi <laughs> so i guess in closing i'll say uh i'm chris and so am i and, and we just, just talked wheeze to thee bye Lauderdale.